Hey y'all, and welcome back to Uplift Fit Nutrition Radio. I'm your host, Lacey Dunn, future registered dietitian, here to spread the scientific knowledge in the world of fitness and nutrition. Today, I have an exciting guest on board. We are going to talk all about hypothalamic amenorrhea, birth control, and a couple few other topics. So get ready to learn, and let's get started. Okay, guys, I'm super excited. I have Laura Schoenfield. She is a registered dietitian, and she runs her own practice with um, having an online program called Get Your Period Back, and she also is a part of the Ancestral RDs, which is one of my favorite podcasts. You guys will have to check that out. But Laura, why don't you tell my listeners who you are, what you do, and what got you started into being a registered dietitian? Yeah, so thanks for having me, Lacey. Um, I am a registered dietitian with a master's in public health, and I got into nutrition. I graduated from graduate school in 2013, so I've been doing my private practice for, um, I guess it's been about four years at this point. And so I always knew going into nutrition that I wanted to do private practice just because I have a little bit of a different perspective on nutrition than the average dietitian. And, um, you know, as much as I've enjoyed working in hospitals and enjoyed working in clinics, I just knew I needed to be doing something on my own. So I had always been really interested in nutrition and my mom's actually a dietitian as well. So a little bit of, uh, passing down the, uh, the family practice mm-hmm. there. Um, but I had always been interested in it. I was an athlete in high school and college and it was always just like a personal interest. And, um, I think I started to get more interested in it as a potential career. After I graduated college, I had gone to college for psychology and did some health psychology research in college. And I was thinking I was going to go do a PhD in health psychology research, something like that. Um, I ended up going to Australia for a year after uh, undergrad just to travel and enjoy myself and take a little time off from school to figure out what I wanted to do. And I ended up talking to a lot of people about nutrition down there. I saw that their lifestyle tends to be a lot more fitness and nutrition minded, at least in Sydney where I was living. Um, And I just realized that I had a passion for talking to people about it. And I also realized that a lot of people don't understand nutrition the way that I had been raised and um, just being brought up in the real food type of mindset and also what we call the ancestral health mindset where you're looking at the way humans used to eat in the last, you know, hundreds and thousands of years. Um, So just being able to talk about that with friends and, and look at the way that the Australian culture thought about health and nutrition and fitness and all that, I just started to get way more interested in it as a potential career path. And then, so I ended up going to grad school at UNC Chapel Hill. Um, And while I was there, I was working for a guy named Chris Kresser, who's pretty popular in the paleo community. Mm -hmm. And so I just started to get really interested in different topics with real food and um, more of like an integrative and functional approach to health and nutrition. And um, so like I said, when I graduated, just went straight into private practice doing mostly online, a little bit of in person when I first started, I don't do in person anymore, but just doing a lot of coaching and working with mostly women. Um, And that's where I started to get interested in women's health and started to see a lot of women who were dealing with a missing menstrual cycle or Mm -hmm. PCOS or some kind of um, issue with their menstrual cycle not being what it should be. And so after a couple of years of working with clients on that, I decided I should create an online program to help more people. And so just this past fall, I created my Get Your Period Back program just to be able to help more people and to be able to share the knowledge I had learned both through research and working with clients and seeing what works, what doesn't work. Um, And so I'm just really excited to be able to talk to women about this issue because as you may know, but maybe your listeners don't know, it's estimated that three to five percent of the population has amenorrhea, not because of like being pregnant or postmenopausal or anything. So women that should be having their menstrual cycle that don't get it. Um, And so you know, 5% of the population, that's a lot of people. That's one in 20. So, Mm -hmm. um, and I know it's especially common in women who are highly active. And that's why, you know, just as an athlete and as someone who likes to do um, weightlifting and powerlifting, that kind of thing, I just like to reach out to other women that might be causing this health issue by some of the well-meaning but misguided choices that they're making with their diet and fitness. No, it's it's very important that we recognize that it's, 
it's a problem evolving and it's not normal to not have a period. So mm-hmm. that hits our topic for today of hypothalamic amenorrhea. So maybe you could start off by describing kind of what it is and then potential underlying factors of why we don't have a period. And we have already, you've already discussed one of them being over-exercising. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about hypothalamic amenorrhea. Yeah. And like I said before, I think this is especially important for active women to Mm -hmm. know what this is, know what causes it, simply because um, hypothalamic amenorrhea is also known as the female athlete triad if it's in women who are active. And there is some research that estimates that as many as 60% of women who exercise may experience at least one component of this female athlete triad, which could either be disordered eating, loss of a menstrual cycle, or loss of bone density. So I would guess that amenorrhea is actually a lot more common in women who are active, and that's why it's especially important for us to talk about it. But just to give a general overview of what hypothalamic amenorrhea is, It's basically the absence of a menstrual cycle due to low levels of a hormone called gonadotropin-releasing hormone, and that's also referred to as GnRH. And that hormone is released from the hypothalamus, which is part of our brain that it basically drives the majority of our hormone production, not only from our ovaries, but also from our thyroid gland, from our adrenal gland. It's basically the master control switch of all the the hormones that get produced in our body. And so amenorrhea happens when our brains essentially start telling our ovaries to not produce hormones anymore. And that's when it lowers that level of GnRH because GnRH is basically a hormone that tells the ovaries to produce its hormones. And so if there's anything that's going on that is informing our brain that getting pregnant would be unsafe, then it's going to essentially shut down ovarian production of those hormones, and that's when our cycle goes away. So this low GnRH production will end up causing things like low levels of follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone, also called FSH and LH. It also leads to low levels of estrogen and progesterone, which are our sex hormones that cycle across the month, which changes in those hormones are what leads to a a menstrual cycle in the first Mm -hmm. place. So if we're not having those hormones cycling, then we're not going to see the menstrual cycle. And really, hypothalamic amenorrhea can be caused by a lot of different things. But the most common related causes would include things like anovulatory polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. It also can include stress, weight loss, eating disorders like anorexia and bulimia, malnutrition, excess exercise, and even things like hypothyroidism can be a trigger for hypothalamic amenorrhea. Mm -hmm. Um, And then another really common cause of hypothalamic amenorrhea is something called post-birth control syndrome. So if you are taking oral birth control or hormonal birth control for any length of time, but usually women will be on it for several months to several years, once you stop using that, there's a high risk of actually not getting your period back right away. So there can be post-birth control amenorrhea that women will experience. Um, And the risk for post-birth control syndrome is a lot higher in women who started birth control use for an an irregular cycle, which is actually pretty common. Um, So this is one of those things where, again, there's lots of different potential factors, but hypothalamic amenorrhea is just saying that the hypothalamus is the driving force of why the ovaries are not producing hormones. Um, And that's just really important to keep in mind because there are some health issues that can cause the ovaries to not function correctly or even just not produce the egg at all. Um, Something like premature ovarian failure is an example of that. And so we're really looking at this as an issue that is a brain issue and not necessarily an ovary issue. So I just like to make sure that's really clear because if we think of it as a brain issue, we can then better understand why things like stress and undereating and overexercising can actually lead to hypothalamic amenorrhea. No, exactly. So it's not an anatomical or a physical problem that is happening. It is something to do with your brain and it's your body's way of saying hey we don't have enough energy we are too stressed we can't produce a baby and we can't take care of it Mm -hmm. so thank you so much for describing that now what I see a lot um, especially in the fitness world is that over exercising 
overstressing mm-hmm. and with the bodybuilding aspect what I see a lot is a lot of people restricting their calories and a lot of people specifically restricting either their fats or carbohydrates mm-hmm. and in that aspect I don't think people know or realize that carbohydrates are an essential part of our um metabolism and we need them for our thyroid hormone which the conversion from t4 to t3 that influences our hormones the production of our estrogen progesterone and tsh lh so a lot of people don't realize this so what do you typically see in your practice with people in regards to how they develop or their problems with hypothalamic amenorrhea what do you see most Yeah. So, and I'm going to talk about my athlete clients because I know your listeners are typically the athlete population and they're going to have a much different underlying root cause of hypothalamic amenorrhea than someone who's not active. And so, um, like I said, a a few minutes ago, there's a lot of different things that can trigger amenorrhea in women. And so, um, you know, the, the birth control use, the stress, that kind of thing. So for women who are active, what you had just mentioned about overtraining being a really common cause of amenorrhea, that for sure is a contributing factor. And I think we have to look at overtraining as, you know, what what's the definition of overtraining? What creates an overtraining issue in certain people? Because for some women, they're not, they don't have to train that much to get this issue. Whereas other women can train twice a day, six days a week, and they're fine and they still get their menstrual cycle. So it's really important to understand what overtraining is because it's not black and white. It's not like there's a certain amount of training that once you surpass that, that that's what's considered overtraining. Every woman's going to be different as far as what ends up being an overtraining situation for them. So with overtraining, The important thing to remember is it's not so much about how frequently you're training that's the problem. It's more about how you're recovering that leads to the overtraining situation. So recovery is really just what you're providing your body to be able to repair and replenish its stores of nutrients and stores of energy after a workout. And depending on how hard the workout is, the more you need to do to allow for that recovery. So one of the biggest factors that affects recovery from exercise in general is your diet. And the biggest factor is going to be how many calories you're eating total. So if you're under eating in calories and you're not getting enough total energy to support the exercise that you're doing, that in itself is going to lead to an overtraining situation. Um, You know, it's basically like trying to drive a car and not putting gas in it frequently enough. You're not going to be able to drive if the car runs out of gas. So it's the same thing with your body. If you're driving it hard with exercise and you're not fueling yourself, that is a, a very strong signal to your body that things are, there's stress, that there's um, some level of danger, there's uh, potentially a famine going on, then that's why you're not able to eat. And so your body's going to do what it needs to do to shut down its hormone production to prevent starvation, to prevent any sort of um, thing that would cause that energy imbalance to be worse. And pregnancy is probably one of the most energy demanding things that our bodies will ever go through. And Mm -hmm. so it's no wonder that your body would want to prevent pregnancy if you're in a malnourished state. So calories for sure is definitely the number one thing that I see in my athletes that they're just not eating enough in general. Um, The second I'd say the second component of nutrition would be the macronutrient issue that you just mentioned. So you might be getting close to enough calories or maybe even enough calories total. But if you're very, very low in either fat or carbohydrates or protein, but that's not something I usually see in my athlete clients, any of those macronutrient issues can potentially lead to hypothalamic amenorrhea. And as you had mentioned before, carbohydrates, it's, it kind of depends on which, um, which group of nutrition Uh, people that you're hanging out with, if you're hanging out with the low carb paleo ketogenic crowd, a lot of times you see people not eating enough carbs. If you're hanging out with some of the more um, conventional food pyramid type people, then maybe you're seeing a very low fat intake. But either end of those spectrums is not healthy for athletes to be eating at. And so if you're under eating on carbs, that, like you said, is going to affect thyroid hormone production. It does reduce the conversion of T4 to T3, which T3 is the active hormone. And so if we have a reduction in active hormone production, that's going to lead to a hypothyroid state, and that will then lead to a lowering of all other hormone production. Um, 
also carbohydrates in general are going to raise our insulin, which I know a lot of people think, oh, high insulin means that you're going to get fat or that you're going to develop diabetes or something like that. And having some amount of infl- uh, insulin, excuse me, insulin fluctuation is extremely important for telling your ovaries that you're in a fed state. Because remember, if you're in a famine, if you're not getting enough food, your brain's going to tell your ovaries, it's not safe to get pregnant. Let's shut down hormone production and prevent pregnancy. So that insulin cycling that happens from eating foods that have carbohydrates in them and eating a mixed macronutrient diet, that's basically a signal to your brain that food is plenty, there's no issues with a food shortage, and that fertility is safe. On the other hand, fat if you're not eating enough fat in your diet, that is going to affect what kind of hormones you can produce because our sex hormones are actually uh, created from fat, specifically cholesterol. Mm -hmm. So if our fat in our diet is extremely low, not only will we not have the building blocks to create those hormones, but we're also going to be missing out on a lot of the really important fat-soluble nutrients that come from dietary fat. So Uh, That includes things like vitamin D, vitamin E, and one of the more important nutrients for fertility is vitamin A. So I would say anyone who's either under eating on calories or they're way too low in fat or way too low in carbs, any of those situations or a combination of those situations, which I see frequently as well, that's going to be the most common trigger for hypothalamic amenorrhea for women who are super active. Um, Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to mention, yes, I, in regards to the, the nutrients that we don't get in our diet, it plays a huge role. So we need those fat-soluble vitamins. We need those B vitamins. We need things like magnesium, and we need zinc, and we need selenium. We need all these things in our bodies in order to have a happy and healthy um, metabolism and, re- and to be able to reproduce. So mm-hmm. very important there. Mm-hmm. Now, now- – Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to say that um, along those lines, one of the reasons why a lot of women who are active end up under eating, besides just accidental under eating, which is actually a lot more common than what a lot of people might think, the purposeful under eating that comes from somebody who's trying to lose body fat, that ends up being a much bigger issue than even just accidentally under eating because I find that accidental under eating is a lot easier to solve. Um, you can just mm-hmm. look at your diet and be objective about it and be like, oh no, I'm under eating. I need to eat more. But if somebody has something like body dysmorphia or they have a fat, like a body fat percentage goal that they want to accomplish and they're trying to lose body fat to look a certain way, um, you know, with bodybuilding, obviously you have to get to a certain level of body fat percentage to be able Mm -hmm. to see the definition that you're looking for and to be able to win competitions. And so there is actually research showing that at a certain percentage of body fat, women do tend to lose their menstrual cycle. And the reason for that is the theory is that body fat produces a hormone called leptin. And leptin is a hormone that signals to our brains that we have enough calorie and nutrition storage in our bodies to support a pregnancy. So if your body fat percentage drops too low, I like to say, you know, in the high teens to mid teens or lower, that's going to be a signal to your body that there is a lack of nutrition available. And that lowering of the leptin that comes from a lower body fat percentage can lead to a loss of menstrual cycle for a lot of women. Um, Now, that's going to differ significantly between women. Some women can get fairly low in their body fat percentage and still have a a normal menstrual cycle. But that's definitely something to be aware of if you're not getting a period and you've been working on dieting or if you've lost a decent amount of body fat or your body fat percentage is lower than 20%, that could actually be a trigger for you. So that's something really important to remember because um, I think just with the, the overall goal of bodybuilding and then also the overall uh, image of fitness that we're getting in our current society. I think a lot of women believe they do need to be a very low body fat percentage to look fit, to be attractive. And for a lot of women, that is what drives this low hormone production and loss of a menstrual cycle. So I just wanted to mention that since a lot of times that desire to lose body fat is a primary reason that they would be eating a very low amount of calories or eating low fat or low carb. 
No, I think it's very it's an, an important distinction that you have made regarding that people it, it's going to change per person. So one individual in regards to body fat can ha- maybe can have their cycle at 15% body fat and then another person may need to reach that 20% body fat. And then mm-hmm. in regards to just like we talked about the exercise intensity, somebody may be able to do that six times a week and high intensity work and then another person maybe it's four times a week that's all their body can do. So -hmm. it's very individualized. And I would really like to talk about the lagging effect with regaining your cycle. So I know a lot of people think, all right, post show. So when you have dieted with a bodybuilding competition, you've typically dieted for around nowadays it's like 12 weeks and what a lot of women don't realize is that regaining your cycle it's not it's not an all or nothing thing like you can't just jump back to calories and jump back that cardio and your exercise intensity and just think that hey I'm going to get my cycle back right away the Mm -hmm. body takes time so maybe you can describe why that essentially happens yeah sure so I will say I have seen some clients bounce back rather quickly. So it's not that it's impossible, but I think to your point, it's really important for women to have realistic expectations of what should happen because I've definitely worked with women before who, um, you know, they, they get out of a dieting situation or they start increasing their calorie intake because they've been under eating accidentally and they're freaked out because, oh, I've already been eating this way for a month and I don't see my menstrual cycle back. Maybe I need to go on birth control or maybe I need to do something different. And so it's important to remember that for a lot of women, it can take a lot longer than just a, a month or so to get their menstrual cycle back if they have been dieting, even just for 12 weeks. You know, I, I mean, I work with a lot of women who have been dieting for months and even years, even accidentally. But even 12 weeks of dieting, especially if you've lost a lot of that body fat, that may take at least three months to get your menstrual cycle back at that Mm -hmm. point. So, and the reason for that is because it takes our ovarian follicles, which are the little sacs in the ovaries that contain the developing egg. It takes those follicles three months to develop from start to finish. So we have our eggs that are in our ovaries, ready to go, um, ready to be released. But the actual follicle that forms to release an egg takes three months. So if you think about everything that the ovary has to do to create a follicle and then release an egg taking three months, then it helps to understand that for most women, it's going to take that long at a minimum to see the changes that they make to their diet then affecting a menstrual cycle. Um, So I usually like to encourage my clients to give it at least three months to focus on their diet, focus on things like stress and sleep and appropriate exercise, that kind of thing. Uh, Also, maybe some micronutrient supplementation if they're not able to get it in their diets, but just all the different factors that I talk about in my online program, Get Your Period Back. I don't expect people to get their period back in six weeks, which is how long the program takes. So giving it at least three months is kind of the bare minimum that I would expect. And then I have seen it take, um, you know, six, 12 months, depending on how long somebody has been in an underfed state or how long they've been dieting or how long it takes them to get back to a normal body fat percentage. Or, um, you know, for a lot of women, there is a level of anxiety about eating more or eating more carbs or fat or whatever they've been restricting. And so sometimes just the process of getting back to a normal diet can take a couple months. Um, So like I said, it's not unusual for this to take up to a year or longer for somebody to really get the progress that they're looking for. Um, But I don't want to scare people and I don't want them to feel like, oh no, it's going to take me forever to see this progress because I have seen it happen within less than three months for some women. Um, And it's just, it's so individual. So I don't Mm -hmm. want anyone to think that they should have any set in stone expectations. I just like to make sure that when you're going into this process of getting your period back, if you expect it to happen really fast, you're going to be stressed, you're going to be panicking if it's not happening. But if you go in with the expectation that, okay, let me just focus on this for three months minimum, do what I can do to eat more, eat a more balanced diet, eat the micronutrients that I need, take some break from exercising. I mean, it doesn't have to be a full break. But you know, if you're training six days a week, maybe drop that down to three or four days a week for a couple months. Um, Just really giving your body a chance to feel safe and to feel like having a baby would be a safe thing to do. Because again, just remembering how energy demanding pregnancy is, you want your body to believe that it's safe to have a baby, whether or not you're trying to get pregnant, that doesn't matter. You just have to remember what your body's purpose of menstruating would be. 
Yeah, exactly. And be kind to your body. Don't yell at it just because, hey, I'm not getting my period back yet. Why are you doing this to me? No, Mm -hmm. be kind to yourself and give it time. And it may be fast, like some of your clients. And for some others, it may be longer, especially with post-birth control syndrome. So maybe we can talk about birth control. And essentially, um, my problem is I, I hate seeing people go to birth control as a resolution or a fix for getting their period back. And so a lot, what a lot of people think is, Hey, that means I'm getting my cycle. I'm getting my period. And what they don't realize is that's not your body's natural hormone production. So maybe you can talk about this because I know that's something you probably definitely see and frustrates you as well. Yeah, for sure. And birth control is funny because for most conventional doctors, that's going to be their number one go-to solution for amenorrhea. Oh, if you're not getting your period, let's Mm -hmm. put you on birth control. You'll get it back. And this advice could not be more wrong. (laughs) It really bothers me that so many women are getting this advice. And I'm not mad at doctors because honestly, they don't know any better. A lot of them, this is what they were taught in medical school you know, there's there's a pill to fix amenorrhea or to fix irregular periods, and it's simple and it works for most women. Um, and so I'm not mad that the doctors are recommending this. I'm mad that there's not better information available for women. Um, and there's actually a stat that for all of the women who take the birth control pill, almost one in three women take it to regulate their period. So they're not even taking it to prevent contraception. They're taking it because their period is irregular and they're trying to fix that. So the fact is, if your period is either irregular or if it's missing entirely, then taking birth control is actually not going to help you get your period back. And I know that's confusing because I just said, oh, it gets somebody to have their period if they're not having it. But the reason why that's not actually a real period is because a natural period is where your ovaries are producing the hormones in different levels and it's happening on usually a 28-day cycle can be anywhere from like the low 20s to the mid 30s for an average cycle and your, your body is creating its own hormones. Now, that that bleed that happens from a real period is a withdrawal bleed from the hormones estradiol or estrogen and progesterone. And so when you have a pill bleed, that's a withdrawal bleed from the pharmaceutical steroid hormones that you're taking. And these steroid hormones are similar to our real hormones, but they're actually not the same. They have different structures, they have different functions in the body, and that can make a huge difference to how our body actually responds to those hormones. So essentially, when you're on birth control pills, you're taking hormones that are telling your body to do certain things, and it's completely dependent on the timing of the pill. I know a lot of women actually skip the placebo week and not get their period. So you can see how you don't even actually have to get your period if you're on the pill. But that placebo week is a drop in those synthetic hormones that then triggers your body to menstruate. So the timing of the bleed that you get on the birth control pill is 100% about the dosing of the drug that you're taking. Whereas the timing of a real period is actually dependent on the way that your ovaries are functioning and how your brain is telling your ovaries to produce hormones. So a pill bleed is not the same thing as a real period. And that's really important to understand because a lot of women believe, oh, if I take the pill and I get my period back, then I'm healthy and I'm, I'm having a normal period, that kind of thing. And it's definitely not the same thing. And the other issue is that by taking birth control, you're actually masking the symptom mm-hmm. of irregular or missing period. And I like to look at a period as a barometer for a woman's overall health. If you're having issues in your menstrual cycle, that's a sign that something's going wrong and it's your body's not functioning normally. And by taking the birth control pill, you're just masking that symptom. You're not actually solving the problem that's causing your ovaries not to produce enough hormones or to re- release an egg. And so for while you're on the pill, yeah, you're getting a period. But once you go off it, so many women that go off that that pill after they've been taking it for an irregular cycle end up not getting their period back. Actually, there's a one study that shows upwards of 37% of women never see the return of their period after stopping the pill if they were taking it for irregular cycles. So taking birth control doesn't really solve the missing period at the root level, and it can actually have some pretty bad side effects, things like depression or weight gain or um, 
mood swings, that kind of thing. So using birth control as a way to get your period back is actually really pointless over the long run. And it could even set you back further from getting your period back naturally when um, when you go off the pill and maybe you want to get pregnant and you're not getting your menstrual cycle at that point. And I, I just want to make sure the women listening know that I'm not trying to shame them if they're taking the pill. I know that some women really do need to take birth control or um, you know, maybe getting pregnant would be really a big problem for you right now. And so you're just taking it to make sure that you don't get pregnant. So I don't want you to feel ashamed of your choices or feel that, you know, I'm saying, oh, people who take the pill are bad. I just want women to be informed. So that way that they can make the best choice for their body and have the information to decide if taking the pill is actually something they should be doing or not. No, exactly. And I, I sometimes I come across that way too. Oh, I'm anti birth control. But really it comes down to I'm anti birth control if you're using it as a cover up. I'm not right. if you are using it because you don't want a baby, that is totally okay. That is your choice. That is normal. But if you are using it to try and mask the fact that or f- try and fix the fact that you have an irregular cycle, you should probably fix the fact that you have the irregular cycle and go to the root cause. Find the root mm-hmm. cause because just masking it will not solve the issue and it can make it worse. Right. And even for women who don't want to get pregnant, I think there is this really common myth. And I've seen this in my clients who have worked with, like they've talked to their OBGYN about their birth control options. And there's something called the fertility awareness method or FAM is how it's um, abbreviated that a lot of their doctors will tell them that that's a terrible thing to do and you're going to get pregnant and you're going to regret it and all this like really kind of bad scare tactics about telling women that they shouldn't be using um, a a more natural method of birth control. And so I like to make sure women are aware that properly done uh, fertility awareness as a method for contraception is actually just as effective as taking the birth control pill or even using an IUD. So you know, just making sure that women are aware that they don't have to use hormones to prevent pregnancy. Um, it's really important because even if you have a normal cycle, when you go on birth control, you may end up causing an irregular cycle when you get off it. And so if your plan is to get pregnant at some point in the future, Mm -hmm. then going on oral birth control or even getting an IUD put in may not be the best choice for you, especially if you're sensitive to those synthetic hormones. No, exactly. And I don't think a lot of my listeners know essentially what the um, fertility awareness method is. So in regards to the um, body temperature, we have in our bodies when, you know, we, is, is it when we ovulate that the temperature goes up or is that when the follicle is released? So it's a really subtle temperature change. Generally, it's somewhere around half a degree. But basically, the day after you've ovulated, you're going to see a temperature spike from okay. the change in hormones. Because when the when the egg is released, hormones are released with it, and you'll see that fluctuation in your progesterone and estrogen. And so if you're tracking using an app or using some kind of um, fertility thermometer, which is different than your normal, like if you're going to take your temperature when you're sick, you're not using a fertility monitor because um, those type of thermometers have an extra decimal. So if like your normal temperature is 98.6, it would say 98.60 or 98.66 as the number because you're getting that extra decimal point. And so that's why uh, fertility thermometers are going to be a little different because you have to have that level of precision to see the shift. Now, I personally use a product or I guess a device called a daisy monitor. And I like that because it is way more, um, it's designed to really do the tracking for you. And so if you're the kind of person that doesn't necessarily have time or interest in doing all the tracking manually, this device is great for keeping track of it for you. And it watches for when that, uh, that temperature change happens. It has a computer built into the device that actually tracks your typical cycle and starts to predict your fertility. And For those of your listeners that aren't familiar with the fertility awareness method, it's essentially based on the understanding that the female body is only able to get pregnant up to six days out of their cycle. So in a 28-day cycle, there's only six days that you could even get pregnant. And the reason for that is because um, 
essentially the egg, once it's released, only has somewhere in the 12 to 24 hour range to get fertilized. And if it's not fertilized within that 12 to 24 hour range, it won't ever get fertilized. Yeah, it's just traveling away. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so um, the reason why it's six days and not 12 to 24 hours is because sperm can live inside the body for mm-hmm. about five days. It, it's give or take. I mean, it's not going to be exactly the same for everybody. But the estimate is that up to five days in the body. So we're trying to be a little careful for women who aren't trying to get pregnant. We just want to be better safe than sorry. Let's make it the full six days that you would potentially be fertile. So based on that knowledge, if you can track when your body is ovulating and you can get some data there, and there's other signs and symptoms other than the temperature change, there's also things like a cervical mucus change that you can track as well. Once you start to get the the pattern established for your individual body, then you can really pretty accurately estimate when your fertile window is. Um, Six days would be the smallest the window would be, depending on how long you've been doing it for. It might be a wider window if your period tends to be a little bit irregular. But essentially, as long as you either abstain from sex or you use some kind of protection method during that fertile window, you're not going to ever get pregnant anytime the rest of the month, assuming you have regular cycles. Now, if you're someone who's got very irregular cycles, or maybe you ovulate um, on a really inconsistent basis, it's harder to track and it might not be the right method for you to use 100%. Um, But that doesn't mean you can't use things like the barrier method, things like condoms, that kind of thing. So essentially, as long as you're not having unprotected sex during that fertile window, you won't get pregnant. And I think a lot of women, myself included, before I did all the research about this, when I was getting married, I had to figure out what I was going to do for birth control. Um, It's like you don't even know this until you actually get taught. So, you know, I was under the impression that you can get pregnant at any time during the month. And so knowing knowing that you can't, it then allows you to have a little bit more control over, um, you know, the method that you're using. So you don't necessarily have to use condoms throughout the month. You just have to use it during that fertile window. So it gives... I find that it gives a lot of um, understanding. I think it's cool to have the data and know, you know, I can I can look at my app and say, oh, I'm probably ovulating right now. And maybe that's <laughs> why I was a little bit more emotional with my husband last night or whatever. So, um, so it's cool to be able to have that data, but then also just feeling confident that what we're doing with our contraceptive choices not only is effective, because again, this uh, specifically the Daisy Monitor, but the Lady Comp app in general that you can use to do this fertility awareness method, it has the same efficacy rating as an IUD. And so if you're able to do this confidently and really take the time that it takes to learn your body and to um, to figure out what your body does and to figure out when your fertile window might be, you're able to have that effective contraception without any side effects. So again, birth control can have pretty significant side effects in some women. Um, Mm -hmm. I've had some clients that develop depression or anxiety on birth control, even an IUD. Um, There's a higher risk of blood clotting for women. So getting like an aneurysm or a stroke or something is entirely possible if you have that higher risk of that, that issue on birth control and oral, or I'm sorry, hormonal contraceptive options. So uh, I know I'm going a little bit down a rabbit trail no, with it's this okay. FAM thing, but I just think it's really important for women to be aware simply because, um, you know, when I was getting ready to get married, I was looking at the IUD as an option and I didn't realize that the IUD has its own set of uh, negative side effects that can cause really problematic symptoms and a lot of mood symptoms, especially. And I just wasn't interested in that. I didn't Mm -hmm. want to be a newlywed with like an unstable mood, essentially. So, um, so that's why I went with FAM. And again, it's not necessarily going to work for everyone. And I don't think everyone should, should think that they have to use that method. But the more education women can get about it, the better they'll be able to make a decision that works for them. Yeah, I just want to throw in another side effect I see with a lot of my clients in regards to the birth control is water retention as well as changes in the gut microbiota and the development Mm. of digestive problems which angers me so much because I'm like oh that just stinks that you you take birth control to try and um not have a kid and then your digestive system just hates you but Mm -hmm. that's something I see and um for my listeners you will probably see if you go into um an endocrinologist they're not going to want you to do the fertility awareness method of course they're going to push birth control or something on you they're going to always try and sadly push a pharmaceutical but it's your choice whatever you do everything is always your choice so don't Mm -hmm. be afraid to do your research and to really do what you need to do as an individual 
Right. And I think one of the things for women to remember about the contraceptive side of things is it will depend on your, I don't know how to describe this, like just your social environment. So Mm -hmm. for me, I knew I was going to be married. I have a stable job. I have a stable home. Like getting pregnant, even though it's not part of my plan, would not be the end of the world. You know, I I trust God's timing to make that happen when it's going to happen. And maybe I have my own ideas about what the right timing would be for that. So I'm going to try to avoid it for the time being because I'm not ready mentally or financially to have a child right now. But the fact is, if we did get pregnant, it wouldn't be the end of the world. It would be frustrating. Potentially, it would be a little scary because I'd be like, well, now we got to figure out where the crib's going to go, that kind of thing. But it wouldn't be like a seriously bad social situation. So I just like to make that comment because, um, again, we want women to have choices and we want women to understand that if they feel that getting pregnant would be a really serious problem um, or, you know, that it would be something that they would not be able to to tolerate, maybe they'd have to give the baby up for adoption, that kind of thing, then perhaps using a more consistent device like an IUD or something would make more sense. Um, but I just like women to to think about what their, what their risk of getting pregnant is, if there is anything that would potentially go wrong, if there's any sort of health condition that they have that would make uh, pregnancy dangerous. And just keeping in mind that it's 100% up to you. And if your doctor is pushing on you a medication, you have to think about what your situation is and they're just going to tell you what they've been taught in medical school, like you were saying. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk before we end this podcast a little bit about um, how to get your period back. So you have your um, get your period back repair manual for my listeners. We will have a link up. Um, That way you can reach out to Laura, get help from her. And if you need to have that you have that Um, but let's talk a little bit about just little tips that you would say for your clients or people in general for what to do essentially we know you know reduce that exercise make sure you're getting proper fat and calories and carbohydrates um, reduce your stress so what are other tips for you Sure. And just to let your listeners know, um, I am offering a $100 discount on the program for the listeners of this podcast. So before I talk about what I teach in this program, I just wanted to mention that in case anyone's interested in joining the program, just as a thank you for Lacey having me on the show. And so if you want to go to laurashoenfeldrd.com forward slash uplift, so U-P-L-I-F-T, then you can actually get $100 off the program if you want to join me. But as far as what's in that program, so essentially I have a protocol that I go through with my clients when I work with them one-on-one that I call the 4R protocol. And essentially what that is, is there's four different components and they all start with R, very, (laughs) you know, clever. Um, (laughs) So the the first one is refeed. So refeed is essentially looking at what we were talking about before with calories, macronutrients, micronutrients. So if you're not eating enough total food or if you're on a specific diet that's making you malnourished in any way, like if you're on paleo or if you're vegan or something like that where you're missing out on a big chunk of micronutrients in your diet, there may be some supplementation that you want to use to make sure you are getting those nutrients. But we're just generally looking to give your body the fuel and the nourishment that it needs to properly function and to tell your brain that it's safe to be fertile. So a lot of times that has to do with how much you're eating, uh, the types of foods you're eating, the balance of macronutrients like protein, carbs, and fat. Um, you know, if you are vegetarian or vegan, maybe looking at some supplements that are nutrients like vitamin A or zinc or any of those nutrients that tend to be low in a vegetarian diet. If you're doing a paleo diet, you might be looking at things like calcium or magnesium or things that might be a little lower if you're avoiding grains and some of the other um, foods that get removed on that diet. So just making sure that you are getting everything that you need. I don't I don't want my, my clients to believe that they can't choose something like a vegetarian diet, but they have to be they have to be educated on mm-hmm. what the issues might be. So just making sure that they are educated and that they have options, either increasing the diversity of their food or adding a supplement in for that refeed part of the protocols is 
where I start because it tends to be such a big issue for so many women. Um, the second R of the re- of the uh, four R protocol is rest, and rest is tapping into that recovery side of the equation that we had talked about before. So. Rest not only talks about sleep, um, just making sure that women are getting enough sleep, that they're prioritizing sleep, that they're getting sleep at the right time at night. Because even if you get eight hours, if you're going to bed at one o'clock in the morning and waking up at nine, that's not as good as if you were going to bed at 10 and waking up at six. So timing of sleep, uh, quality of sleep, all that stuff's going to be really important. And then rest also discusses exercise because we were talking before about how for some women, if they don't get enough rest days in their training routine, then they're actually not only going to have issues with their performance or their progress in the gym, but they'll also potentially see some hormonal disruptions. So rest is a huge component. And some of that's also mindset type resting because a lot of the women I work with are some of those, um, kind of like type A types where they're very productive. They like to get a lot done. They don't really like to take time to rest. And I I think that mindset can really cause a lot of problems if you're not checking it. Mm -hmm. So rest is a huge piece. Don't be Um, afraid to sloth. mm -hmm, For sure. And so the third R of the protocol is relax, which I know sounds a little similar to rest, but it actually has more to do with stress and some of the disordered eating that I see in a lot of my clients. So I'm sure you see this in a lot of the people that you work with, that there's a lot of anxiety around the foods that they're eating. They're very restrictive about certain foods. They believe that there's a certain way to eat that's more healthy. And so they don't eat certain things. Um, I know that the the quote unquote clean eating uh, philosophy can oftentimes lead to disordered eating in a lot of women. So just relaxing around body image, relaxing around food choices, relaxing around, again, that kind of type A mindset where you're just pushing your body to the extreme all the time. And so that's a huge component of the guidelines as well. And then the fourth R is repair. And repair talks about all those non-diet and exercise related habits or health conditions that can lead to amenorrhea. So once you've done the refeeding and the resting and just reducing stress, all of that good stuff, it is possible that you still might be getting or missing your period because of something like a gut issue or hypothyroidism or liver issues where you're not detoxifying hormones very well. And Mm -hmm. so in that part of my protocol, it's the last part because I don't want to skip all the foundational changes, but it is something that's really important because I've worked with women in the past who we did all this refeed, rest and relax side of the equation and they still weren't getting their cycle back. And once we dug a little deeper, we saw maybe they had a gut infection or they had untreated hypothyroidism or they had, um, you know, they weren't having a bowel movement every day. And so they weren't detoxifying hormones very well. And so just making sure you're looking at the other organ systems of the body that also affect menstruation. Once you've laid the foundation of your diet and lifestyle, that's super important for women who don't get their period back after making those initial changes. So that's, that's a very brief overview of what I do in the program. And so if you're, if you're listening and you want to get started and you're an active person, I would say the two most important factors to look at is your diet and making sure you're getting enough calories, whether that's looking online, what your general calorie needs might be for how active you are or working with somebody one-on-one to help you establish what your calorie needs are. And then looking at the rest side of the equation. So how much are you sleeping? How much stress management practices do you have? Um, Are you taking rest days from your exercise routine? So all of that rest component plus the refeed component is where I would start if somebody is listening and wants to start working on this. And then things like disordered eating or gut issues or thyroid issues, I would strongly encourage working with someone one-on-one to get to the root of those since that can be very challenging to do on your own. So um, hopefully that helps give people an idea of where to start. And like I said, I think that calorie intake and macronutrient balance is definitely the easiest as far as like you can get the fastest results from it but it can be very challenging if you've been eating a certain way for a long time and you're you're nervous to make changes but it is one of the easiest ways to get a period back for a lot of the women I work with 
Yeah, for sure. I just want to point out to my listeners, if you have any issues in regards to your fertility and you want it back, I definitely suggest going to a professional, somebody like Laura. If you have problems with eating, going to a professional. I personally do not take on any clients. If somebody says they have problems with their um their food relationship, I send them to a professional. And that's what you really have to do. You have to take control and you have to take care of yourself. So Mm -hmm. don't be afraid to do that. I think a lot of people tend to be afraid of that. People don't like to talk about the fact that they lost their period. They haven't had it for a while Mm -hmm. or that they have these problems and it's okay. It's okay to reach out guys. It's okay to get help. Yeah. I think point that out. Yeah. And and that's a great point for women who think that they may have some level of disordered eating or if they have a history of an eating disorder that's been diagnosed. I actually strongly encourage those women to find someone that they can work with in person. Mm -hmm. I, I like to work with women who have a history of disordered eating because a lot of times they've already done that work in person to get back on track and they might just need some tweaks and some changes that are more tailored to their individual needs. But you really can't get the help that you need for an eating disorder through online coaching. That's how I feel. Yes. Um, and that's probably a big reason why you don't work with those kind of clients either because there's just so much support and um, not only mental support, but emotional support and just that, that physical relationship I think is really important for anyone who's in in the midst of an eating disorder. And so definitely looking for someone local to work with is ideal and getting a team that you're working with. Sure. I was just going to mention that you need a team. Mm -hmm. So very glad you do that as well. So guys, there is a difference between, um, an eating disorder and then afterwards just having some, maybe just disordered eating patterns. So, Mm -hmm. Big difference there, but um, so thank you so much, Laura, for taking your time to talk about both hypothalamic monorrhea, um, post-birth control syndrome, the fertility awareness method, all the above. If there's any way that my listeners can reach out to you or any information that you want to tell them before we say goodbye, go ahead and do that. Yeah, sure. So as far as free information goes, um, I have a lot of blogs about this topic on my website, which is laurashoenfeldrd.com and Schoenfeld is spelled S-C-H-O-E-N-F-E-L-D. And so I have lots of blogs on that. I also write things on social media. So you can follow me on Facebook or Instagram. Instagram is laurashoenfeldrd. And like I said, if somebody wants to work with me in my group program, I am taking people at any time to come through that program with me. And so if you want to get the $100 discount for Lacey's listeners, it's at laurashoenfeldrd.com slash uplift. So hopefully you guys will take advantage of that. And I'll be looking forward to uh, any questions you have. And certainly if you read a blog post that you want some more information about, please write a comment or comment on Instagram. I love interacting with people that way. Yeah, for sure. You put out a wealth of knowledge, that's for sure. I love all your blog posts as well as all the podcasts that you've done. So you guys make sure you check out the Ancestral RDs podcast. They are fabulous. So check them out. Check out her website. And thank you so much again, Laura, for coming on my podcast and sharing your knowledge. Thank you so much for having me, Lacey. You're welcome. I hope you have a fantastic day. You too. Bye.